0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: Hey, today we're joined by Sasha Grafe. Sasha is a designer, coder, and entrepreneur from Paris, France, but he's now living in Osaka, Japan. He's done UI work for some really cool companies, Le Monde, Hipmunk, and Milewise, but he is best known for launching innovative side projects. His most recent projects include Telescope at www.telesc.pe, and Sidebar www.sidebar.io. Aujourd'hui, nous parlons avec Sasha Grafe, une concepteur de produits merveilleux. Sasha réside à Paris, mais nous rejoins en provenance du japon bonjour sasha now we are officially a, a bilingual podcast
0: yeah <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the only french i know i'm sorry
2: uh, that was actually really good french was it a slight canadian accent was there was uh, there a little Mexico bit of quebecois in there yeah
1: but. okay let's get it going for real here Welcome to Product People, a podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. My name is Justin Jackson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Kyle Fox.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. And Justin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, today we have a great guest. Sasha Grafe is joining us from Japan. Welcome to the show, Sasha. Hey, everybody. So, Sasha, I thought we would start by hearing your story. So, where did you grow up? And maybe tell us how you got into the web or and got into computers in the first place.
2: Okay, sure. So, uh, just to explain a little bit who I am, um, I'm a designer, um, focused on user interfaces and web mobile apps. Uh, for the last couple of last years, I've been uh, freelancing for companies, mostly startups. So I've done work for uh, Hipmunk, um, RubyMotion, Intercom, so a couple companies. And uh, right now I'm focusing more on launching my own products. So uh, the past uh, year I've launched uh, the Toolbox, which is a, a small uh, side project uh, that uh, aggregates all kinds of useful links. One year ago I launched Folio Uh, which is a company that helps uh, connect startups and designers and right now I'm working on Sidebar which is a community for designers and also a newsletter that sends out the five uh, best design links of the day Uh, I'm French, I grew up in Paris, France and um, I got started about 15 years ago I would say Um, my first ever website was a, a walkthrough site for Fallout, the game. Okay, yeah. So uh, that was a long time ago, and uh, since then I've done a lot of things, and actually mostly uh, not web related. So uh, I I went to to school uh, after high school. I did one year of uh, web stuff, I would say. So learning Flash and PHP and uh, the basics of uh, designing and developing for the web. But that, that was uh, a long time ago, and uh, the web was really not there yet, I would say. So after that, I went uh, back to university to uh, study computer science. And um, that had really nothing to do with the web or even like practical programming. It was lots of math and very theoretical. So anyway, after doing this, um, I also studied Chinese, and um, I went to China about six times, I think, hmm. and lived there for one year. So at that point in my life, I was pretty sure I was gonna do something related with Chinese, like you know, journalist or working in embassy or something. But uh, it turned out that um, I got a little bit bored with it, and by chance, I found a job in Beijing working in a Chinese uh, web design agency. Huh. So interesting! This is uh, like how I got back into the web about uh, five years ago.
1: And was there something about that job with the web agency in Beijing that made you like want to build more things on the web?
2: Uh, yeah, basically. I realized that the web had changed a lot um, since I was last, last making sites, and uh, it was a lot more fun. You had, uh, so to give you an idea, like when I first started, I was doing table layouts and flash and really old school stuff, and when I got back into it, I discovered this new thing called CSS.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And uh, hey, that's pretty cool, uh, beats uh, doing all those stupid table layouts. So um discovered WordPress, like all those things seem really old now, but, you know, there was a time before that, uh, the, the dark ages of the web.
1: Yeah. And w- did you discover CSS and WordPress and all of that stuff in in Beijing at that first job?
2: Pretty much, like, I had, I was aware of, of those things, uh, of course, but uh, I hadn't, been doing any design professionally for a while, so you know I had never really gone gone into that too much so the, the first thing I did was okay read up on the state of the art and okay what are people doing now and when I was googling the articles I was finding were like four years old or three years old so I realized that yeah I had a, a bit of catching up to do
1: yeah. And what year would that have been when you when you started doing web development in uh, China?
2: Um, that was uh, two thousand seven, I think. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Now, you're have you always been into design? Was that always a part of your life?
2: Um, not really. I was mostly uh, into the technical side, but. I've always been more of a generalist, and I like being able to, to do everything. So um, at first, uh, I was basically doing everything, and I realized that the part of that I liked most was design. So I I focused on that for a while, um, and that's the, the kind of client work I did for a long time. But now that I'm working mostly on my own projects, I actually spend a lot of time coding, too.
1: So what happened after you were in you were in Beijing did you did you move back to France and start like working on like uh, as a freelancer there or what happened when you uh, after that yeah. stage of your life
2: So I did move back to France and uh, for one year I worked at uh, UNESCO uh, mm-hmm. which have their headquarters in France and I was doing a cold fusion work another language that has disappeared I hope yeah but um, I did that for one year and after that uh, started freelancing basically I, I saved up for one year to bankroll my freelancing uh, career
1: okay and and so what uh, what what year was that when you started your your freelancing career
2: so that would be um, let me check I think that would be 2008
1: right around 2008. And, you know, one thing I, w- I always wonder about is what the, like, web culture is like in other places in the world. So what's the web culture like in uh, China and what's the web culture like in France?
2: Um, so um, in China, it's... Uh, well, when I was there, uh, they, were, they had a very specific kind of design, I would say. And uh, it's a very heavy site. And a lot of people are using, or worse, using IE and Windows XP. So it was a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's changing. In, in China, everything changes very fast. So um, I think they, if they haven't caught up yet, they will in a, a matter of years. And uh, in France, um, well, it's also a little bit behind uh, what you have in the States, but not that much. Um, I would say one thing that's uh, apparent in France is that uh, print designers and animators are very good. So uh, a lot of them went into doing Flash websites. Mm. So um, you still have that really Flash-heavy um, mindset, and it's probably like disappearing, but for a long time, all the big sites were in Flash, and... Basically, all the best talent went into doing Flash rather than CSS websites.
1: Interesting. Was there like a community that you could like tap into when you were in France and learning, you know, all this stuff on the web? Were there other people that you connected with and were able to talk um, this stuff through?
2: So actually, like I can only speak for myself, but I've always wanted to, you know, be global and not local. Um so there was a, a post by uh, Dennis uh, Severs about that recently where he basically said that you can you know be local and go to local events or uh choose to to live in the global world and that that means you know hanging out on global communities things like hacker news reddit so I've always tried to to do that more especially in the beginning of the beginning of my freelancing career and as a result I've never the really, you know have much contact with the local community in France. But, yeah. I
1: mean, that that was, was an interesting was... post by Derek Sivers. Oh, yeah, yeah, Derek, sorry.
2: Yeah, but like just before uh, leaving for Japan, actually, I, I had started being involved more in the Hacker youth community in Paris. So it actually turned out to be pretty cool. So I now think you need a balance between both aspects, and not be just one hundred percent global.
0: That's right. Um, so one thing that was kind of interesting to me—this um, is sort of going back a little bit, I guess—you kind of re—you sort of kickstarted your um, web career back in, you said two thousand and seven-ish in China with the with the web agency, and then it wasn't very long until you took the plunge into freelance in 2008, it was just over a year, hey? Yeah,
2: um, actually 2009, sorry, I checked. So, yeah, in 2007 I was working in China, then 2008 worked at UNESCO, 2009 started freelancing.
0: Okay, gotcha, so that's... um, I guess you had some background in it prior to that, but by some accounts, that's a pretty fast move from web agency to to freelance. So I'd be curious um, what prompted you to kind of pursue freelance so so fast? Was, was it kind of something you always wanted to do? Like did you always want to be self-employed and work on interesting products or was it just kind of a, at the time that was the next logical step in your career?
2: Mm. Well, like as I said, I didn't have a big network uh, in France, and um, I, I had some previous agency work uh, in France, and you know people were doing lots of flash, and I didn't have such a good experience, and I, I thought I might as well try my luck at freelancing and do you know whatever I want, um, and you know I was confident I could do it because uh, I started selling themes on ThemeForest, and. Right you know I thought either it works or it doesn't but you know it's a sink or swim with my own abilities um, I don't have I wouldn't have clients I don't have a boss so it's it would be a good test of, of my my skills right and uh... it turned out that it worked out um, I had a few successful templates and themes and clients started rolling in through uh, theme Forest at first
0: that's interesting so um so you were almost doing products before you were even doing freelance. that it kind, it kind yeah. of like helped you kick start your way into freelance and which is kind of like presumably also helping you circle back around to doing to doing more of the product yeah. side.
2: Yeah, I was doing products before I knew I was doing products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, when I first uh, was first doing themes, I had no idea about marketing them or or you know doing any kind of promotion outside of ThemeForest. It never crossed my mind. So if I did it now, I would have a very different approach. But at the time, uh, because ThemeForest is a really good platform, uh, it worked out like this.
0: Sure. It's kind of like a gateway product. Yeah. Interesting.
1: When did you make the, the switch from um, selling things on ThemeForest to starting to sell your own stuff?
2: So I stopped selling things on ThemeForest because uh, it involved too much uh, customer support. And the the competition on ThemeForest is really, really good. I mean, people are coming out with WordPress themes that, you know, you have... Uh, 20 color variations, you have all these settings, the short codes, whatever. So unless you're doing it full time, I think it's really hard to compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I um, agree. Yeah, so I stopped doing themes, uh, then I focused on freelance work for a while, and uh, I guess my first product, um, well, it's not actually entirely true. I, I did try to sell some small products on Graphic River, and I kept exploring other options, but I would say my first successful product was uh, my ebook about uh, six months ago, uh, last March, I think. But this it really like came out of the blue for me. I never expected uh, it would be that successful or, you know, bring in that much money.
1: So why so, did you um, why why did you decide to to make the ebook in the first place? What was kind of the reason behind that?
2: Uh, you know people ask me that but I don't think there was a reason like it was more hey that would be a cool thing to do and let's try it out um you know most of my projects start out like this like hey wouldn't it be cool if then I do it so um, yeah I I wanted to to try that uh, see if there was an audience for it uh, and it turned out that there was. So maybe take us through that
1: process a little bit. So at first you were just thinking, hey, this would be kind of neat to, to try this. And then you you built it, like, sorry, wrote yep. the book. What what happened next?
2: So the first thing is uh, the book is actually pretty short. So, um, you know, that's because I wanted to, to give it a try and it's kind of a book MVP, our most minimum viable product. Yeah. So I, I didn't set out to, to write a you know, 200 page book. I set out to write a 40 page ebook, and give it a shot. And after that, I built a landing page for it, and then posted the link to Hacker News, and it uh, just took off.
1: And you know, so, and when you posted it to Hacker News, did you have a price like were you 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 linked to a landing page with a price where people could buy yeah, it? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I went to the current landing page, uh, which is still online, and uh, at that time it was uh, half-priced, so that was like really cheap. So the, the lowest edition was uh, $3, and actually I think a lot of people bought it just because it was so cheap. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do a lot of market research or anything on ebooks, so I actually priced it based on the uh, iPhone apps. because I figured, hey, People are spending like all these months uh, on those iPhone apps, like Angry Birds, whatever, and selling them for only uh, $1, so I'm going to do something a similar price, which like it turns out is a really bad way to price things I've learned since then. But you know, Yeah,
1: I, I noticed, because you released your book right around the time that uh, Bootstrapping Design came out, <laughs> and there was a little bit of a back and forth yeah, between you guys same same uh, same on... Same. Uh, you know what pricing model is best so h- how do you feel about that now like what uh, now that you're at this stage do you think you should have priced it higher or do you think that your price was kind of right on the mark
2: um, I think I should have probably priced it a little bit higher um, but you know it's easy to say now because the book was successful so, so it seems more valuable Like if the book hadn't sold anything, I would probably be like, "Hey, I should price it lower." Yeah. So um, basically, what I I took from all this is that you know you can price high or low. Uh, What matters most is uh, you know why you're doing and and like your your overall strategy. It's not so much the specific price point. So um, yeah, just read up on pricing strategy and why different pricing points work, and then you know, do your best, but it's not like you have to price high or you have to price low.
1: Mm-hmm. Do, do you think you're, for your, are, are you going to do another book?
2: Actually, yeah, I'm I'm in the process of doing one right now, um, but on a div- very different subject. So it's going to be about uh, me here, uh, JavaScript framework, and uh, it's going to be about, you know, an introduction of how to build an app with me here from from scratch basically
1: interesting and Definitely. and do you, do you think you'll how, what's your going to be your pricing strategy for that book
2: um so uh there's uh, two of us on the project so i'm writing it with uh, tom coleman which is uh one of the the best meter that's in the community right now i think so uh yeah it, the pricing is going to be higher uh to support both of us and also because it's going to be a uh, a much more in-depth product with more material,
1: and so you guys are thinking it'll be a—it's going to be a higher price point, and uh, with a lot more material. So you think videos, examples, yeah,
2: interesting. Uh, basically, if you look at what Nathan Barry is doing, uh, I think it's going to be something like this.
1: Interesting. Kyle and I were just talking about uh, the Nathan Barry book today.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he launched uh, yesterday.
0: And Looks uh, super well done. Like it's one of those landing pages yeah. that makes you just need to have it right this instant.
1: Well, he's yeah.
0: got a pretty aggressive pricing strategy too, and it, like, the price tag doesn't really feel like it deters me a whole lot. Maybe it prevented me from buying like right now type thing, but I mean, it's still rattling around in my head right now as something I want to get as soon as I can even though it's you know about $200 well
2: he has uh, three price points actually right so you can get the the budget option for uh, what
1: $30 yeah yeah you can you can buy the book for $30 it's on sale right now you can buy the book plus videos for $80 you can buy the whole package which includes um video tutorials, video interviews, resources, and the book for $200. And then you can buy a team version for like a, a team license for
2: $800. And you can buy a gold-plated version for $2,000. <laughs> <Okay.
1: laughs> well, you know, what's interesting though is like on on uh, communities like Hacker News, this kind of pricing is is getting kind of uh, torn apart. Like a lot of people were 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 kind of taken aback by the the pricing. Yeah.
2: What do you think about that, Sasha? Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. That's what <laughs> I think about it. Really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, I, so Justin and I were talking a little bit about this uh, earlier as well, because we both kind of manage teams, and you know, for a business that's got a team of designers and sort of, like if you have new people, new designers joining the team, you, you want to bring a, them up to speed and have a common frame of reference for everyone on the team. You know, spending $800 on a whole bunch of well, well-designed, well like just high-quality collateral like that is almost a no-brainer. Like $800, yeah. $1,000 for something that your whole team can refer back to and use to... To train up new hires, like that's incredible value.
2: And I think people don't understand how like segmentation works, really, because if you want to buy a car and you know you can buy a Ferrari or a, I don't know, uh, like a, what's a cheap brand, a Honda, and you know, you know that those two cars are for different audiences, so you're they're not going. Nobody's complaining about the price of Ferraris because you know they're expensive. That's what they are, and it's the same thing here. Except it's the same it's the same product, but it also has different price points. So just like you can buy a cheap car or, or an expensive car, you can buy a cheap package or an expensive package. So if you think the expensive package is too expensive, that just means you're not the target audience. So it's not for you. That's all there is to it. Yep, exactly.
1: And I guess the, the real but proof. I think people
2: feel like insulted somehow.
1: Yeah. So maybe explain a little bit about that because you had a very low price and um, it, it sounds like there wasn't that much friction. Like people said, oh, $2, I'll pay for that. Yeah. No problem. Why do you think some people are offended when the price goes up?
2: Well, because they think, hey, you want me to pay $200 for this? I can't afford it. Are you crazy? So what they don't understand is that, no, Nathan Barry doesn't want you to pay that. He wants, you know, the guy at the, the big company who is not spending his money to to pay that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in this case, the people complaining, you know, it would be one thing is somebody at the big company was complaining about the pricing point, saying that, you know, they can't afford it or whatever, but usually the people complaining are not the targets. So uh, in my case, um, people, I guess the the price point had a very good uh, reception on Hacker News because uh, those people were the target of that price point, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So So what what do you think you're going to do to promote your next book? Are If, you know, like Hacker News... Is an interesting community because you can get a lot of traffic. Um, You know, if Mm. if if it hits a chord, you can get a lot of traffic. Do you have some ideas on how you might promote something with a higher price point?
2: Uh, Yeah. So I've already started uh, setting up a mailing list on the Telescope site. So Telescope is an open source meteor app that uh, we're building to let anybody basically create their own Hacker News or Reddit-style website. So it's an open source social news app. So if you go check out the landing page for that app, um, so the app is free, but uh, there's a a small sign up form for the the book's mailing list. So that's step one. Just collect some email address and then uh, you can use that to you can send sample chapters to people you can ask them feedback on what they'd like to see in the book so there there's lots of things you can do and uh, after that we'll see I mean this so book is like uh, yeah
0: one thing I'm kind of curious about because justin I'm not sure how like into the like the hard hardcore tech scene you are but meteor is like a pretty new sort of uh Framework to build apps in.
1: Yeah, I haven't have heard, I heard much it? about it. Well, I've, i only heard about it because I saw Telescope on Hacker News. Yeah. So, could you just describe okay. to me what Meteor is?
2: Okay, so um, you know about uh, Node.js, yeah. which is uh, JavaScript on the server. Uh, Meteor is based on that, but it takes it one step further, so that you know you have the you can share code between the server and the client. So not only is your whole app uh, JavaScript, but you can even reuse the same uh, methods and the, the same exact same code on both sides. And uh, that's one thing. The other thing is it's all real time. So basically, if you're displaying like whatever data from the database you're displaying on your site, if it gets updated, it will be updated on the site in real time without you needing to do anything about it. Huh. So uh, it's almost magical. How it works and it's uh, really powerful. And on top of this, it does lots of smart smart things. Like it includes all uh, your apps file by, by default, so you know you don't have, even need to do the script tags or CSS tags. Everything gets included and compiled, minified, all that. So um, yeah, I've tried. I've I built apps with PHP, WordPress, Rails, but Meteor is really like a step above, and I think it's the future.
0: Yeah so that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about because it's it's pretty new like I think it's really interesting that you guys decided to build such a a polished marketable app with Meteor Um, so I'm kind of wondering what made you decide to use Meteor or if, if you were approached by like the Meteor team to use this as a kind of like a marketing tool to promote Meteor because like, especially with the book, I think it's interesting because right now there might not be, like today there might not be a huge, huge market of people looking to to learn yeah. Meteor. Surely there's some, but it seems like this could be, you know, very well-timed where as Meteor kind of... Um, Gains popularity, and I agree with you. I think this is kind of the future of, of web apps. So you're positioning yourself quite nicely to be one of the first really polished, thorough kind of Meteor books. So I'm, I'm wondering yeah, I hope so. sort of how you got into, into Meteor. What made you decide to write this book? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, for starters, uh, the thing about the, the market, I think the Meteor market might be small, but Meteor also has a very low barrier to entry. And there are a ton of people who already know JavaScript, uh, front-end developers, designers, and they could get started with Meteor in, in one day. You know, they don't have to learn a new language. They don't have. They can install the Meteor in, like in five minutes. So uh, f- I, I don't look at the market as people who are using Meteor. For me, the market is people who know JavaScript basically, and that market right. is huge. And uh, to answer your question, question so. Um, First, I actually came up with the idea for Telescope first um, because even before that, I, I wanted to build what is now Sidebar. Um, so, Sidebar, if you check it out now, it doesn't really look anything like uh, Telescope or Hacker News or all those sites, but it's actually based on Telescope. So, Telescope powers it. And the reason why is because uh, my initial goal. Was and still is actually to build something like a Hacker News for designers because I think that's really missing right now. So um, I had this idea. Okay, I, I want to build a Hacker News for designers. Uh, how do I do that? So the first step was um, choosing the technology and choosing um, who I was go- going to build it with. And um, my initial idea was to exchange uh, my design time on somebody else's project for their coding time on my project. Hmm. And um, I found someone to do that, and we started. He was a Node.js coder. And um, yeah, so I narrowed down the technology's choice to either Rails or uh, Node.js, because I had experience with Rails, and I also knew JavaScript, so I figured uh, those two stacks would be the easier, easier for me to learn. So anyway, we picked Node.js. And at the same time, I have a friend who is in a Y Combinator, who's doing a ZenBox, who said uh, he was friends with the Meteor guys. And they were cool people. And Meteor was interesting. So uh, we decided to check it out. And what happened is the guy that was helping me out, uh, so he started building this Meteor, but um, after a while he got busy and we kind of lost touch, so I ended up doing the app by myself. <laughs> and it turned out that Meteor like, was easy enough for me to yeah, just build it out and, and do a, a big part of it by myself. And after a while I was uh, joined by Tom Coleman, which is now my, my partner on the project, but um, like by that time, I had the confidence that I could actually, you know, build non-trivial stuff with Meteor.
1: So you found it pretty empowering, as a as a designer, that you could use Meteor to build this app yourself, that you didn't need to find
2: someone that was yeah, maybe exactly. more technical. Interesting. And to be fair, like I'm not a pure, a pure designer because I have a computer science background and I've an, a couple apps, but. You know Meteor, like I can compare Meteor to Rails because I'm also maintaining maintaining Folio, which is a Rails app, and Meteor is hands down a lot more fun to use and and yeah, just just more uh, intuitive for me than Rails. Huh.
0: Well, uh, you've actually just in this conversation kind of convinced me that this is probably what I'm going to spend my weekend doing, <laughs> yeah. taking a closer oh, look at it. Because I remember being impressed by like the screencasts and things like that, and then I saw that you had built telescope, and um, it suddenly I don't know. Sup- I'm maybe a little bit superficial, but I was like, oh, hey, there's a pretty site about meteor. Suddenly, I can take it seriously. <laughs> so.
2: Um, Well, I would say if you're uh, building a real-time app in any way, Meteor is definitely the way to go, and even if your app is not real-time or, like, doesn't need to be, uh, I think it's still a pretty good uh, candidate just because uh, it's so quick and and simple.
0: Right, and Uh, like you said, based on JavaScript is a huge advantage. Yeah, based on on JavaScript. Uh,
2: To be fair, there are some quirks, like, you know, because of the real-time aspects, some some things are harder to do uh, than with a traditional framework, but um I, I think those things are gonna go away pretty fast. And I mean I would I, still yeah, I would still recommend it even with those things.
0: Yeah, I remember um I think one of the first things that everyone sort of yelled about on Hacker News was that it was not great for SEO and then eventually like an SEO package or yeah. fix came along. So it seems like it's one of those things where you know any any new tool is gonna have mm-hmm. gaps and things like that, but they get smoothed over in time. So it's not yeah. it doesn't mean the project is inherently doomed. So they seem to be doing it doing a pretty good job yeah, of it. Yeah exactly. And the,
2: and yeah, how and, I mean Sorry go ahead. Oh I mean sure it doesn't have like the libraries of uh, ruby or, or node but it's a young product it's that's true but I, I still think it's worth it you know getting ahead of the curve and and getting familiarized with it now right and the best way to do that is your
0: upcoming ebook
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> do you, do you have a landing or, page up for that yet
2: um there's the telescope landing page there's no landing page for uh, the ebook itself yet Okay. But uh, just to know that Telescope is open source, so anybody can, you know, download it and look at the code. It's pretty simple code and with lots of comments, so it should be understandable for everybody.
1: Yeah. And, and has anyone else, I, I noticed you have three examples of people who are using it. Have you heard from other people that are already using it for, like, real communities
2: that they're, they're building? Uh, yeah, a couple of people. Um, Some people are using it for, yeah, communities or um, their own, like, Blink blog. Some people are also using it more as a collaboration tool. Yeah. Like an internal hacker news. Oh, that's a cool idea. That's what I thought it would be good for
1: is, like, running product teams internally. You could have your whole backlog in Telescope and allow people to vote it up, like, vote up ideas, comment on ideas and you could kind of see what was hot. And that would be really neat to have something like Telescope just running, you know, internally for, you know, just for that.
2: Yeah, and you can run it for free on Meteor or Heroku. Uh, You can customize it yourself, it's just JavaScript, so I think it's a perfect idea.
1: Well, that rounds up part one of our interview with Sasha Grafe. We have an amazing part two coming for you next week. Sasha talks about choosing a partner and the importance of side projects. But even more, he gets really personal about the challenges of bootstrapping your own product. You will not want to miss it. We will see you then.